It's good to be with you all again. Um, get situated here. I have to tell you, I really appreciate this plexiglass. It's uh, just much better than preaching in a mask. Do you like being still? I can remember when I was a small child, my grandfather would punish me by making me sit down beside him on the floor and be still and quiet for 15 minutes. And it was torture. I would have much rather been spanked. Like most little boys, I loved activity and movement and noise. And it's not just a kid thing. Have you noticed? Uh, Being still and silent is hard for many of us adults as well. I'm curious, what makes a good day for you? I've slowed down quite a bit since my retirement. But back when I was a full-time pastor, a good day for me was getting most of the things checked off on my to-do list. Um, At the beginning of each day back then, it was like I informed God of what he needed to help me do that day. (laughs) Can you believe that? And if it was a good day, um, I got most of the things on my list accomplished because God and I were on the same page. But on those days when God's agenda was different than mine and he dropped a bomb on my plans, it was a frustrating day. Some of you can relate. We, We like being in control, don't we? Uh, We like being busy and active and accomplishing things that matter to us, and hopefully they matter to God. Now, some of you are thinking, a to-do list? What's that? (laughs) In our passage from God's Word this morning, Jesus compares busyness with stillness and serving others with just sitting and listening. He also compares what's important to us with what's most important to Him. Some of you will be shocked at what He says, Most of you will be challenged. It's a powerful message for all of us busy Americans about how to use our time and establish biblical priorities in life. And I thought that would be a very appropriate message as we are on the brink of a new year. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and also locate the sermon note insert that's there in your bulletin. The setting of our text this morning is that Jesus is about two and a half years into his three-year earthly ministry. The time of his death is quickly approaching. He and his disciples are traveling around the countryside ministering to people. And here at the end of Luke chapter 10, they enter a familiar village. Please follow as I read verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Now, we know from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1, that the town where Mary and Martha lived with their brother Lazarus is the town of Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem, a couple of miles to the south. 
Um, Jesus knew this home well. He, he knows it's a place where he can find love and acceptance, rest and peace. It's called Martha's home here, which probably indicates she's the oldest sibling. Now, both sisters are delighted to see Jesus. How they express their enthusiasm, however, is quite different. Mary is content to sit and listen, to be with Christ and do nothing else. Martha, however, was distracted with all her preparations. Mary sees Jesus and thinks time with the Savior. Martha sees Jesus and thinks I must prepare a meal. And if the disciples were with Christ, and most scholars suggest they were, it was quite a number of hungry men to feed along with a huge family, a huge undertaking. And so Mary or Martha quick puts together a, a to-do list. Martha's mind is pulled in every direction. How will I ever be able to take care of all the details of this elaborate meal? The appetizers, the salad, the meat, the vegetables, the relishes, the rolls, dessert, and arranging all the guests around the table in just the right order, etc. If you have ever planned and fixed a large meal, you, you know the stress it can produce. A good cook can pull off a minor miracle, in my opinion. She can put the cold food in the fridge at one time, and she can organize all sorts of hot dishes and get them in the oven or on the stove at different times. It all arrives on the table at the same time, and everyone has a good time. <laughs> and then it's nap time. <laughs> but such a feat is not easy, to say the least. Now, at this point, uh, preachers often give Martha a hard time for her response. But honestly, would we not have acted much differently? Frankly, I have a secret sympathy for Martha. She's my kind of person. She's realistic, hardworking, and organized. I'm married to a Martha type. And yes, I asked her permission to share that with you. Any pastor with a lick of sense is delighted to have Martha's in his church. If it weren't for us Martha types, nothing much would get done. And yes, I am a Martha type too. Or at least I, I used to be in my working days. I'm more like Mary in my retirement years. Or some days I'm a mixture of both. Now it's a mistake to uh, give Martha low marks for serving. In many places the Bible talks about the value of hospitality and serving others. Those are good things. Jesus is not faulting her for that. It was her priorities, spirit, and attitude that was the problem. With Christ in the house, Martha pays too much attention to things that don't matter that much and not enough attention to the things that do. From the moment Jesus entered the door, Martha was distracted with the incidentals connected with being a perfect hostess and fixing an elaborate meal. And it isn't long before those incidentals began grating on her. Ken Geyer, in his book, Intimate Moments with the Savior, gives us some insight into what Martha was probably thinking. And I quote from his book. I can't believe Mary isn't in here helping, she thinks. Martha pushes a fist into the dough. She should be in here, another fist into the dough. We could get this done in half the time. She pulls and mashes, pulls and mashes. You know, I'd like to hear what he has to say, too. But somebody's got to fix dinner. Martha reaches for some flour and flings it into the lump. They should at least be in here while they talk. She works the flour into an expanding loaf. I can't believe he just lets her sit there. Another fist into the dough. Here I am in the kitchen sweating, working my fingers to the bone. Doesn't he care? Huh. 
Finally, Martha's uh, frustration explodes and she comes boiling out of the kitchen, red-faced and hotter than any of her dinner entrees. Notice what she says there in verse 40, the, the second part. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She doesn't even call Mary by name. With clenched teeth, she says, my sister, and accuses her of being lazy. And unthinkingly, she also takes a jab at Jesus, accusing him of lacking concern. Mary's rash response illustrates what happens when the selfish aspects of our temperament get the best of us. Authors Gary Smalley and John Trent describe four common temperaments in terms of animals. Um, See if you can identify which type you are. People who are lions are strong, aggressive, take-charge types, leaders by nature. Playful otters are energetic, laid-back, fun-loving souls. Golden retrievers are loyal, supportive, nurturing encouragers. And hardworking beavers are detail-oriented, careful, methodic, and thorough to a fault. Mary was probably a blend of otter and golden retriever. So she tuned into Jesus, unaware of practical matters like fixing a meal and eating. Half lion, half beaver, Martha could not sit down and enjoy talking until she got all of the things checked off her to-do list. I'm sure she had the gift of hospitality, and and she wanted to serve others. She probably enjoyed serving others. But in this case, Martha's strengths had become her liabilities. Her beaver and lion traits had turned into badger and wolverine. Jesus now turns to his frustrated friend to calm her down and lovingly confront her. Look at what he says, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Our Lord does care about Martha more than she realizes. He understands her temperament and wants to help her see beyond the momentary tensions and embarrassment to the real issue. Fretting about an elaborate meal is robbing Martha of what should be her greatest joy in life, fellowshipping with Christ. I mean, think about it. Here's the Son of God who had precious little time left on earth, and he's sitting in her living room. And what does Martha do? She uh, bakes bread. She sets the table. She prepares, prepares, prepares instead of enjoying her Savior. Her frantic busyness is also robbing her of fellowship with the disciples. And so, no, Jesus wasn't going to have Mary help her fix a meal because Mary had chosen the better thing. Mary was blessed and Martha was stressed. For us hard-charging type A's like Martha, our motto is, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well. Type A's are often perfectionists as well, so everything has to be done with excellence. And yes, we have Bible verses to support that value. So when a, a perfectionistic student gets a B or C grade, it's like a moral failure. Many of them are devastated. When that work event we plan for weeks doesn't go smoothly, we get angry. When we have a dinner party and the seven-course meal is less than successful, we get frustrated. Have you ever been to a couple's home where you were trying to serve that, they were trying to serve that ideal Norman Rockwell dinner with a cozy ambiance and fine china, and each 
dish cooked to perfection with all the fixings. And if things don't go just as planned, you can often sense tension between the couple, can't you? Not that any of you couples have ever experienced that tension. That's just other marriages, right? (laughs) But make no mistake about it. Martha is surely not the only one to get frustrated and irritated at dinner preparation issues. And what Jesus is is saying to Martha, as well as to many of us hard-charging, task-oriented individuals in this passage, is you need to change your spirit and your attitude. You also need a new motto. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing simply. For sure, hospitality and serving others are worth doing. They are biblical mandates. But sometimes they're worth doing simply. Simplifying life is so important in this hectic world, especially for us Martha types. For sure, there are occasions when fancy seven-course meal is appropriate, but there are other times when soup and sandwiches is enough. That's what I think Jesus is getting at here with his good friend. Martha, you're distracted and worried about too many things. Having a perfect, elaborate meal has become an idol to you. You need to simplify dinner so you can focus on me and fellowship with others. Mary has chosen the better portion. A quick meal of soup and sandwiches would have been enough, Martha. How do you know when you are putting too much effort in a certain activity? How do you know when cooking a meal or getting good grades in school or doing well on that work project or raising godly children has become an idol in your life and thus you may need to simplify A good litmus test for idolatry is when you become like Martha here. It's when you get upset or angry or anxious or irritable with people and situations. It's when you're driven to distraction and thus you forsake the more important things in life for the less important. You you forsake fellowship with others and intimacy with your Lord for activity. Your attitude and spirit make all the difference. There's a saying, misery loves company. Well, I can assure you misery spoils company. Martha's spirit here spoiled Mary's fun and probably the disciples' enjoyment of this meal as well. When you're irritable, you'd spoil everyone's uh, enjoyment. So one sign you're overextended is when your good works are done with a bad attitude. And when that happens, you need to hear the words of Christ in this passage. You're worried about too many things. Simplify the meal. One or two dishes is enough. It doesn't need to be an elaborate feast. And your home doesn't need to be spotless. As a pastor, I've eaten in a lot of people's homes over the years. They they used to do that in the past. Uh, And I must tell you that I love to eat. Uh, The more food selection, the better, usually. However... If I had a choice of a delicious seven-course meal with a bad spirit or soup and sandwiches with a good spirit, I'll take the simple meal any time. My wife Beth and I have been in homes where the hostess was so busy serving her guests, we had hardly any time to fellowship with her. We would have much rather her service been simplified so we could spend more time with her. And sometimes we, my wife and I, have been those busy beaver hosts. If a thing is worth doing, it may be worth doing simply. 
For you perfectionists out there, it's not the end of the world to get a B or C if you have lots of other good things vying for your time and you've done the best you can with the time you have. It's not a travesty to get have a less than perfectly clean house uh, if it's been a crazy week and you need to spend some quality time with your kids or better yet, spend some time sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's another important lesson in this passage. In fact, I think it's the most important lesson in this passage. It's the importance of sitting at Jesus' feet and what all does that mean. If you notice, our Lord doesn't tell us in this passage exactly why Mary's choice was better than Martha's. Some have suggested he's endorsing the contemplative life, placing worship over service. I do believe that worshiping God is the most important thing we can do in this life. Others have said that for the follower of Christ, learning and listening must take precedent over everything else that keeps us busy and screams for our attention. I'm sad to confess to you that as a busy pastor, being a mixture of leader, lion, and goal-oriented busy beaver, I could get so busy serving Jesus that I spent very little time with him, sitting at his feet. At times I valued busyness more than stillness, noise more than silence, accomplishment more than worship. In those days as a full-time pastor, it was possible for me to worship gods of my own making. Gods like my reputation, my sermon, my plans for the day, my ideas, my to-do list. And thus it was easy for me to get so caught up building my little kingdom instead of his kingdom that I got frustrated when my agenda was not being accomplished. And in my busyness, I didn't take as much time as I should to love and worship Him. I was a Martha instead of a Mary. Not all of the time, but certainly some of the time. If any of you have ever read the article, Tyranny of the Urgent, you know the struggle I'm talking about. The things that are most urgent in life often squeeze out the things that are most important. Our public world screams much louder than our private world. Have you noticed? And yet it's in our private world that no one else sees where we cultivate our relationship with God the most. And if your private world is in order, your public world will be much easier to manage. Think about it. The two greatest commandments in the entire Bible are love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they're always in that order. If you get them turned around, it will lead to disaster. If you put your focus in life on loving your neighbor and serving others without loving God and sitting at Jesus' feet, it will lead to nothing but weariness, frustration, anger, and little joy. Just ask Martha. In fact, you can ask me. I could also ask some of you. It's only the neighbor love that grows out of a love for God that has staying power. I mean, get this. God enjoys fellowship with us. Jesus wanted to spend time with Martha just like he was with Mary. He didn't want her service as much as he wanted her. He wanted her to slow down and chill out and drink him in rather than hectically racing around trying to serve this elaborate meal in her own strength. I would like to suggest to you this morning that sitting at Jesus' feet 
is the most important thing you can do in life because you're cultivating a love relationship with the triune God, which is the single greatest commandment in the entire Bible. So the huge question of the day is, what does that look like? What's involved in sitting in Jesus' feet? I mean, several things, I, I think. None of them are new, but oh, are they important. These activities are habits you will find in all godly people down through the centuries. At least most of the time. And I, I, I have them on your sermon notes. The first on the, on the notes there is a regular, meaningful interaction with the Word of God. If you notice, in our text today, it says Mary sat at Jesus' feet and did what? What's it say? Listen to Him. How do we listen to Jesus in 2020? I mean, He's not here physically for us to hear Him verbally. How does God speak to us today? It's primarily through His Word, is it not? On your sermon notes, you'll notice a verse, 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that phrase, pure spiritual milk, here refers to God's Word. That's why another translation has it reads it, the pure milk of the Word. Get this. Just like newborn babies crave their mother's milk, so we Christians are to crave the milk of God's Word. We're to drink in the Scriptures. Why? The rest of the verse. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The Bible is our spiritual food as Christians. It's called milk in this passage and meat or solid food in other passages. It provides nourishment for our minds and refreshment for our souls. I'm curious. How often do you drink in the milk of God's Word and eat its meat? We're too busy and distracted like Martha, are we not? If most of us ate as much physical food as we did spiritual food, we would be pretty thin and malnourished, wouldn't we? One meal at church on Sunday is not enough, my friends. Most of us eat three meals a day and even snack between meals. We wouldn't think of missing a meal unless we're fasting. Yet for many people today, the only time they feed on God's Word is at church on Sundays. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're going to grow in passionate spirituality in 2021, that has to change. And yet we have to be careful here. One danger of Bible interaction is merely intellectualizing it. For those of us who are more reformed in our theology, we are famous for this. As you've heard me say before, our relationship with God and His Word must touch our total being, our head, heart, and hands. Sitting at Jesus' feet is so much more than just mental comprehension of the Bible. It's asking Him to do something in you before you attempt to do something for Him. Before we can minister to others properly. There has to be a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds and souls. So as you are interacting with the Bible in your quiet time, ask the Holy Spirit not only to help you understand it, but to apply it to your life. Show me my sin, Lord. Show me where I need to grow and change. Stir my heart and affections as well as my mind and then move me to godly actions. Stir my affections to worship you. Head, heart, Hands. 
So there's regular, meaningful interaction with God's Word. But there are some other activities that are also involved in sitting at Jesus' feet. I kind of put them in one statement there on your sermon notes. There's prayer, worship, stillness, and listening. Whenever you do a Bible study on prayer, you'll find at least two types in the Bible. There's solitude prayer and prayer without ceasing. Of course, there would be public prayer would be a third type. But prayer without ceasing is that moment-by-moment communion with God all day long in everything you do. Uh, Brother Lawrence's little classic volume, The Practice of the Presence of God, is a great book to read about this prayer without ceasing. It includes depending on Him, worship, praise, thanksgiving, meditating on Scripture, confession of sins, praying for others that God brings into your life or that He brings to your mind, uh, etc. You, you can do that all day long, just communing with Him, driving the car, uh, sweeping the floor, whatever you're doing. That's not the type of prayer I'm talking about here. The Bible also teaches that there are times we must separate ourselves from our public world activities and get alone with God so we're not distracted and we can fully focus on Him. And that's one of the reasons Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 6, there on your sermon notes. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, the primary sin our Lord is addressing in that verse is the scribes and Pharisees' hypocrisy in public praying. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, that setting? Uh, They loved to pray in the synagogue so that everyone could hear how eloquent they were and how spiritual they sounded. It was nothing but a show. And so here Jesus implies we should do most of our praying alone in private. When you cry out to God in private prayer, you're not trying to impress anyone. There's a better chance your motives are pure. It's just you and God. It also allows you to give your full attention to God and just let your guard down and be yourself. I love the illustration of a light iceberg. Someone has said that our prayer life should be like an iceberg. From what I understand, 10%, only 10% of an iceberg is above the surface of the water that you can see. 90% of an iceberg is below the surface. That no one sees. That should be our prayer life. We read in the Old Testament that Daniel got alone with God three times each day to pray in solitude. And if you read the Gospels, you discover that solitude prayer was a regular part of our Lord's life. It's precisely this type of prayer and meditation and stillness that God uses to restore our souls. And it is here that we sit at the feet of Jesus and cultivate our relationship with him. Let me ask you, do you like God? (laughs) Not love Him. Do you like God? Do you like being with Him? Is He your closest friend? Would He be on your top five friends list? Or is He just an acquaintance? Or do you view Him as this awesome deity that you're terrified of and you don't want to get too close to Or worse yet, is he a stranger? Or worse yet, is God someone you're angry with and can't trust? In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus tells us that we are his friends. Friends like each other, right? Um, When you want to cultivate a deep, loving friendship with another human, one thing you do is spend time together. Both quality and quantity time. You also have meaningful conversations. You, you talk to them, and if you're, they're a really good friend, you share your innermost feelings and dreams and desires and struggles. You also listen to them and, as they share their heart and their struggles. 
It's similar in our relationship with God. Cultivating that relationship requires both quality and quantity time. Telling Him your deepest feelings and thoughts and struggles. Meditating on His awesome character and worshiping Him. Pouring out your pain and heartache as well as your joys. Asking Him for wisdom and strength in everything you're doing. Thanking Him for His many blessings. And then you also need to listen to Him speak to you, both through His Word and also that still small voice of His Spirit. It's cultivating an intimate love relationship with the most important person in your life. We just sang earlier, He is our hiding place. (laughs) Do we run to our hiding place and pour out our souls to Him? As you've probably guessed by now, I am asking you to make it a life priority in 2021 to sit at Jesus' feet regularly in a consistent quiet time. Walking by faith requires fresh encounters with God most every day. And I'm not talking about some legalistic ritual of a quiet time that you do because Pastor Jeff says so or you want to earn brownie points with God. I'm talking about a spiritual discipline done in the power of the Holy Spirit that becomes more precious to you than your next meal. I'm talking about getting to a point where your time with the Lord is one of the highlights of your days most days. And it's not done out of duty most of the time, but rather it's done out of love and delight because the triune God is your first love and your greatest treasure in life. No one or nothing on this planet satisfies us like He does. No one brings us more joy than He does. Am I right? Is He not worthy of a passionate, all-consuming pursuit of intimacy with Him? More than intimacy with our wives and our children or anyone else. Let me encourage you to do whatever it takes in 2021 to make some time in your busy schedule to spend alone with God and His Word, sitting at Jesus' feet, praying, reading, talking, listening, singing, worshiping, laughing, crying, dancing maybe. I don't know. However the Lord leads you. You may start out with just 10 or 15 minutes a day, a few days a week. For some of you, that would be a huge step forward, my guess is. And then it can grow from there. For your quiet time, try to find a quiet place. And if possible, pick the same time each day that fits with your schedule. Uh, It's easier to become a habit if it's the same time each day. And I realize that's hard for somebody. I've had um, stay-at-home moms say, Jeff, that's impossible. Can't find the same time each day. I, I, I get that. Married couples with kids, do whatever you have to to help your spouse make this a regular part of his or her life. Watch the kids. Fix a meal. Take the kids out for an outing. It is one of the most loving things you can do for each other, and it will benefit your marriage. (laughs) I promise you that. There are lots of resources you can use. Millions have used the little booklets, the Daily Bread or Table Talk, to help them with consistent quiet times. Some of you, my guess is, are reading through the Bible in a year. That's a popular Bible interaction mode. Others read good, God-centered, Bible-saturated books to help you grow in your faith. 
Others spend more time in prayer than they do reading. I'm at a place now that if I am pushed for time or whatever, if I have to, I'll, I'll probably have to leave out. If I have to shorten Bible or prayer time, I'll shorten the Bible time. But they're both important. Others of you enjoy times of worship and singing, and then there are times of silence and meditation as you wait upon the Lord and you listen for that still, small voice. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're you're thinking, Jeff, I've tried this, and it just becomes dry and boring. Well, you're not alone. Um, All of us experience that at times, even us pastors. And that's why I suggest doing a variety of things to keep your quiet times fresh if if you need to do that. And what I've discovered is that more times than not, if I come to the Lord with a humble, teachable, expectant attitude, He meets me there and He moves me and speaks to me and refreshes my soul. And many of you know what I'm talking about because this is your regular experience as well. This is therapy for our souls. I need these fresh encounters with God constantly just to make it through this crazy life. And so do you, whether you realize it or not. And that brings us back to Mary and Martha. We can learn some valuable lessons about attitudes and priorities from these two ladies. Let's review a couple of the important lessons we have learned in these few verses. The first thing is that if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing simply sometimes. Hospitality and serving others are good things. They are important things, but they don't have to be done perfectly or elaborately. Oftentimes, soup and sandwiches are enough, even canned soup. Carry out pizza on paper plates in a messy house is enough, especially if it's been a busy, crazy week. Many of us Martha types need to simplify life. You perfectionists need to slow down and chill out and take some time to enjoy the journey and fellowship with the Lord and other people. Stop being so task-oriented. Everything doesn't have to be done perfectly. Your to-do list is not the Bible. It's taken me years to learn that. (laughs) If a thing is worth doing, sometimes it's worth doing simply. Martha desperately needed that lesson. Now, if I was preaching to another passage in another sermon, to maybe some Marys who are out of balance, I would say, you need to crank out a to-do list. You know, and maybe do more than you're doing. But that's another sermon for another day, right? There's a second and even more important lesson Martha needed to learn, and that was the value of sitting at Jesus' feet. And I'm here to tell you that it is doable for us Busy Martha types because a meaningful quiet time has been a regular part of my life for several decades now. Not perfectly. I shared earlier where I struggled some, but more and more so. And according to Jesus here, this should be the most important part of our day. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried, upset and distracted about many things, but only one thing is needed. One thing. Thing is the most important. Mary has chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let anyone or anything take away your quiet time with Jesus. 
Not your family or friends or job or ministry or hobbies or sleep or weariness or anything. If you are too busy to have time for Jesus, you're too busy. You need to cancel something or reorganize and reprioritize your schedule. And if you're here today as a seeker, the place to begin this personal relationship with Christ is to come to him in humble repentance. Acknowledge your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. Ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. And then by faith you must completely trust in what Jesus did on the cross as a full payment for all of your sins rather than trusting anything good you do to try to save yourself. And if, with God's help, you do that, you will begin this personal relationship with Jesus that will change your life radically forever. And this whole quiet time thing I've been talking about will make so much more sense to you. Jesus will become your greatest treasure and your first love. Some of you here today are struggling in your public world because you've neglected your private world. May God help us busy Americans resist the tyranny of the urgent. May he help us to prioritize nurturing our relationship with him this next year. My sermon title today is don't just do something, sit there. That's so hard for some of us, isn't it? For what our Lord is saying to us in the story of these two sisters is this. Spending time cultivating your love relationship with the triune God is the most important thing in life. It's sitting at Jesus' feet, communing with Him, learning from Him, worshiping Him, listening to Him, and in the process having our souls restored and our spirits renewed so that we can then go out and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We must obey the first greatest commandment before we can obey the second one properly. Sitting at Jesus' feet prepares you to wash the feet of others and serve them without being frantic or stressed or frustrated like Martha. So don't just do something. Sit there. God doesn't want your service as much as He wants you. Like He did with Mary, He wants to spend time with you. Make that your number one priority in 2021. And I promise you, your life and this church will never be the same. Your marriage and your parenting will never be the same. Don't just sit there or don't just do something. Sit there. Amen. Lord, help us to go there. Help us to go there, Lord. And so, Lord, we confess to you our over-busyness. We confess to you making an idol out of our to-do list. Of getting frustrated and angry when things don't go our way and we are wanting to be in control. And we can even be striving to do good things, Lord, like Mary or Martha was. (laughs) Serving others is a good thing. Loving our neighbor is a good thing. But Lord, please help us to keep the order right. Help us to obey the first greatest command before we try to obey the second. And Lord, we want you 
to be our first love and our greatest treasure more and more each day. And we want our relationship with you to be the most important relationship in our lives by far. Please take us there, Lord. Give us the discipline and the power of the Spirit. Help us to carve out time in our busy schedules. Help us Martha types to be more like Mary this next year. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you do in us and through us and to us. Because we can't do this in our own strength. It's all about you and your glory, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.